Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost. Today's special, shout it loud and clear, today's special. Over the years, TVO has broadcast its share of quirky shows, but none more so than Prisoners of Gravity. It was hosted by Rick Green, and the whole premise went like this. Rick plays a guy who watches the news and becomes disturbed by the state of the world. So he decides to flee to outer space, where he broadcasts a show each week with the help of his friendly computer. I did tell you it was quirky. The show featured interviews with some of the brightest luminaries from the science fiction world. Ray Bradbury, Neil Gaiman, Harlan Ellison, even comic book superhero superstar Stan Lee. With Spider-Man, I tried something a little different. Instead of the typical hero who's pretty perfect usually in both identities, I wanted to get, a, a first of all, a 17-year-old. There hadn't been any 17-year-old heroes. Today on TVO at 50, Rick Green joins us to look back at Prisoners of Gravity. Commander, are you there? Uh, yes, Earthling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a mere Earthling to my commander here. Yeah, how are you? I am super. Yourself? Good, but, well, Katie and Matthew have really been bringing me down with the stories about you, so that's been hurtful. Uh-oh, what have they been saying? Well, I'm not, I don't want to use that kind of language, you know. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just shocking, that's all. Wait a minute, I thought you were going to promise to be funny during this discussion. Yeah, okay, we'll see. <laughs> well, I suppose I should introduce you for real here. The, okay. The, this voice belongs to Rick Green, hey. who was the host of a very distinctive TVO program from 1989 to 94 called Prisoners of Gravity. Hello, Commander. You sound good today. Thank you. Uh, I feel good. I feel good. Yeah. Good. Take us back. What brought you into TVO in the first place? Um, so what brought me in was I had three TV show ideas uh, for series. One was a kid's show and the other two were science programs. And so the only name I knew there because he just arrived was Daniel Richler. So I arranged to come in and meet Daniel Richler and at he listened and nodded politely and then went, yes, well, I'm the head of arts. You want to speak to the head of children's programming and science. I went, ah, okay, maybe I should have done a little more research. Uh, the internet was not really around at this point. So I went, uh, so I was about to arrange that. And when I got home, he called and said, um, we're working on a show here. Do you know anything about science fiction? Oh, yes. <laughs> Comic books? Yes. Well, I have a fellow named Mark Asquith here. And I said, yeah, I play ball hockey with him every Sunday down behind the Science Center. <laughs> you do? Yes. Well, he said he knew you. Oh, so uh, they asked if I would come in because they wanted someone to host eight minutes on live on the air talking about what was new in comics or science fiction. And it would run in between two episodes of Doctor Who. Because, um, you know, they have commercial breaks on Doctor Who. So they were like 22 or 24 minutes, so 48 minutes, and then me and then some TVO promo coming up, Steve Pagan, although this would be for Steve Pagan. But anyway. I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they said at that point coming up, Steve Pagan, but not here. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, here. It's, uh, so anyway, so 
they said, could you just come in, talk about a comic book you've read recently and a, a review a book or something, just casual. So uh, I don't do anything casually. So I grabbed the last book I'd read. I ran to the corner store because I hadn't bought a comic book in years and grabbed a couple of comics and, and took them home. And I started, uh, and that was it. I went in the next day, sat down in a chair, and I knew I couldn't sit in front of a, you know, a, a bunch of books uh, looking like something from Turner Classic Movies where there's a thoughtful discussion. Because um, we're talking about comic book heroes and we're talking about science fiction and it had to be different. So I came up with this idea that I was up in space. I was stuck in a satellite. I tried to escape planet Earth because it was going to hell in a handbasket and I was going to go look for somewhere else to live. But I happened to crash into a satellite. And the phrase I used was, if you can't flee them, save them. And we're going to talk to the only people who are really talking about the big issues, and that's in science fiction, speculative fiction. And the phrase I used, I said, I think I said right at the beginning, greetings, earthlings, all of you surface dwellers, you prisoners of gravity. This is Commander Rick, 22,000 kilometers straight up as the crow flies, but only if the crow's got a great big mothering rocket pack. And that was it. <laughs> Mayday, Mayday, this is Commander Rick calling Earth. Come in, you surface dwellers, you prisoners of gravity. And then... <laughs> Rick, just hang on. Did you, did you just read that or are you doing that from memory? Uh, no, that was memory. Uh, well, I, That's know, pretty good that you remember the lines uh, 30 years later. Yeah, Not I bad. don't remember any of the people who were there or anything else, but I can remember what I thought of. <laughs> so, <laughs> now this, but, but this, th that line, did you write that line or is that from some famous literature? No, 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 that was just me. I just was trying to find, there were, may have been other uh, uh, phrases I came up with, but the prisoners of gravity, after I'd left, and you know, Mark and Daniel and, uh, had been great about it. And after I left, um, they were watching the audition tape and Mark, who is really the, the brains and the, the inspiration of the show and the driving force, he said, that's our title, Prisoners of Gravity. Now, Mark was going to do this, <coughs> excuse me, was going to do the uh, eight to 10 minutes in between because he, he ran the Silver Snail comic book shop, um, basically. I mean, not officially, but he was did everything there. Um, he knew everybody, you know, Neil Gaiman and all of the comic book people and all of the emerging. And this was at a time when, things were really changing. Graphic novels were winning, um, uh, were winning Pulitzer Prizes or, and, uh, and so on. So it was, uh, it was a really fertile time and he was the expert on that. And I knew a fair bit about science fiction, but you know, not an expert at all. Anyway, um, what happened is TVO lost the rights to Doctor Who. Um, because YTV picked them up, the uh, other network, and that suddenly there were all these other channels bidding for shows. This was before Netflix, but it was the first wave of that were all these new channels that weren't broadcasting through the airwaves, just on, on cable. Anyway, so they weren't sure what to do, and it was about to be canceled. And I said, well, what if we uh, just do a half hour? We certainly, you know, there's 400 comic books coming out a month we can certainly fill a half hour. And Daniel went and found the money and that was it. We were off to the races. And then in the second season, we got um, an amazing director, producer, uh, Greg Thurlbeck. And Greg came over from MTV or uh, what's it called? Much Music in Canada. Came over from Much Music and he brought a whole a, a clear aesthetic of what we were trying to do. He got the opening title sequence. And so that whole first season was a real mess. The second season 
got much better. And by the fourth, fifth season, you know, we were winning uh, acclaim and awards. And I remember we did a show on ecological issues and it was entered into the New York festivals or something and it won a silver medal. And then some network, uh, somebody down in the States, like one of the uh, Animal Planet or something called and said, we'd like to buy your uh, series about ecological issues called Prisoners of Gravity. And they said, oh no, that was just one episode. And they said, oh, because that was just the best survey of ecological issues we've seen. And we thought there was a whole series about it. Huh. And so every well, week, racism and violence and, and then practical things like how do you become an artist or a, a writer for comics or for science fiction? What, how do you lay out a cover on a magazine? So the people we got to talk to, I think it was 500 or 600 interviews. And it was, it was amazing. Yeah, the, the thing I remember about Prisoners of Gravity, Rick, was that it was unlike anything else I had ever seen on television at that time, which makes me wonder how tough a sell it was to TVO management, either to get on the air in the first place or stay on the air in the second place. You know, that's where Daniel came in. And I think, Mark, um, they were, Daniel was open to trying things. And at the end of the first season, it was not, it was a problematic experience. And so we sort of begged, give us one more chance. And with Greg on board, it really came together. The message was very clear right from the opening, the uh, title sequence um, that was done by an amazing comic book artist, a friend now, uh, Ty Templeton, son of Charles Templeton, um, huh. famous broadcaster. Yeah, and Ty is so talented and so creative. And so it all came together in that second season and it just got better and better and better. Uh, I, I mean, I apparently I was a draw because we had 80,000 people tune in for the first episode because That's of my terrific. background with the frantics and so on. But we then had 30,000 the next week and then 12,000. Like it was, the show was not good and it got so much better. Um, and yeah, and then suddenly, you know, you only have to know a little bit about uh, science fiction culture and fandom and so on to, and comic books to know how the fans are. They are uh, so loyal, so supportive. And that's what happened. We just got this wave of people, um, who, especially people in, you know, this is what TVO does so well. It reaches people in smaller towns. You live in a farm outside of, outside of Delhi and you're interested in science fiction or fantasy or horror, you know, what are the odds you're going to find a TV show or even, you know, the books in the library or, or anyone to talk to? And mm. so again and again, um, what we heard from people was, you know, you've got me reading again, or I bought every book you mentioned last week. Um, so, well, and, and let's also remember that, that this is a time when, you know, Star Trek is now in its second and third incarnation and Star Wars is a massive cultural phenomenon. So you, you are riding the crest of something that is really exploding at this moment. Yeah. And that's what's, it's very interesting you bring that up because, for example, the Batman movie, the first one with Michael Keaton had, was coming out that year. And we had a real problem because we couldn't use um, film or television because the the Studios don't want you promoting the first Batman movie in reruns a year and a half later when it's not yet released on DVD or whatever. Like they, they really control it. You hear a ton about one movie and then you hear nothing uh, for because the movie's released and it bombed or it did well or whatever. So there was real restrictions on us doing video, which I think was great because it became a literature. The show became about literature, about um, graphic novels, comics and, and so on. And, that really separated us from, you know, entertainment tonight. Uh, 
and so on. But the what happened with Batman is the network or the um, the studio, I guess, sold a quarter, I think it was two hundred million dollars worth of merchandise before the <laughs> film opened, and suddenly the big companies, DC and Marvel, were going, "Oh my God." we're sitting on a cash cow here and they, you know, here we are 30 years later and it's still going. Right. Absolutely. So they realize it. So they refused to give us rights to the art. Like we were showing artwork and all this stuff without clearances, uh, you know, or they wanted, we wanted clearances and TVO's legal department quite rightly did want clearances. And the Mark, this is where Mark came in and, and negotiated and the, ba- the deal was, and I think it's okay for me to tell this story, but the deal was, we're not going to sue you and we're not going um, to call you on it, but we're not going to sign anything, was what the network said. And Mark, <laughs> Mark and Daniel went back and forth, and finally Daniel just said, we're doing this. It's all, and he took responsibility for this. But, you know, I can understand the, the legal department at TVO, it's a government agency. They're, you know, they don't want to get into a lawsuit with Marvel. Uh, that's not going to make good headlines. Anyway, yeah. So it, it was a really odd uh, evolution. And what happened is, um, or the lesson for me, I think, and I think for others was, um, it was a lesson in narrow casting. Because while I was doing this show, Prisoners of Gravity, I was also co-creating, co-writing, co-starring, and directing some seasons of The Red Green Show. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a, a which was cra- just like Prisoners of Gravity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody who watches Red Green watched Prisoners of Gravity, and everybody who watched Prisoners of Gravity turned their nose up at the Red Green show. And I said, "Look, it's not hee haw. Watch an episode." But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if you were being facetious a moment ago, Rick, when you said I don't remember any of the six hundred people that I interviewed on the show. I, I hope you were because you guys had some astonishingly big names. Do you do you want to go through some of the guys you had on? Well, I, you know, I can uh, help you if you don't remember. If you George R. R. Remember, Martin, I, can help I got, I got. So I did probably one percent. Well, I probably did two percent of the interviews because I was off doing other shows. They were there full time. Uh, Mark and Shirley Brady, who had joined us and was amazing, and then Greg were doing all the interviews. So they would go down to a, uh, a science fiction, you know, the annual awards for the uh, for science fiction or comic book conventions. Uh, and they would interview in one three-day weekend. They would interview 60 people. They had two cameras going. It was unbelievable what they came back with, the amount of material. So um, I did very few of the interviews. But I, I mean, George R.R. R. Martin, uh, you know, Game, of, Game Thrones, of Thrones. We were interviewing, well, Neil Gaiman credits Prisoners of Gravity with, and Toronto with giving him his start. And I was shocked on my 50th birthday party, Mark brought a... Uh, a VHS tape, and it was a personal thank you and uh, best wishes from Neil Gaiman, which hmm. was... I think you're burying the lead here, Rick. Ray Bradbury. Ray yeah. Bradbury, for goodness sakes. Harlan Ellison, who wrote probably the best uh, episode of the original Star Trek series, The City on the Edge of Forever. Yep. Douglas Adams. William Gibson. Yep. Frank Miller. Yep. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, creator of Star Trek. Uh, the That's... film directors, James Cameron and David Cronenberg. I mean, you, you, you guys got, I mean, they're all A-list people. So some of those people um, definitely were us, like Neil was us. But there was also Saturday Night at the Movies, and there was also Imprint, which was the book show, the official book show. And it, 
that so we often tagged along so Salman Rushdie appeared in one of our episodes but really the interview was conducted by imprint and we just handed them three questions we wanted um you should never admit to that you should yeah, say you should organized not, the yeah, whole thing they and take begged, all the credit they begged to be at Salman <laughs> all right fine Margaret Mrs that would yes just wait your turn so now can you take us behind the scenes a little bit because you can't do a show as creatively uh, what word do we want to use here? Exotic or different or distinctive. You can't do a show like the one you did without presumably there being some fairly significant creative differences behind the scenes. Have you got any stories about some of the stuff you guys got into and what it might've been about? No, I, I, you know what? It was kind of a mutual admiration society. We, we had at any one point, we probably had 40 episodes um, in development. So, you know, we, we would look at the themes and sometimes something would jump out that was so obvious, like the city, you know, which in science fiction is there, but I mean, almost every comic book takes place in a city and that led to all kinds of interesting questions. So we would have to have all these uh, topics ahead of time. And then when Shirley and Greg and Mark went to a conference or just individual uh, interviews or sending questions along with Saturday night at the movies because they're talking to James Cameron or whatever. We had to have questions that were very specific. What was shocking for the guests uh, often, especially the science fiction and comic people who had not done a lot, was that we knew their material. And that was a gateway for us. So when, and I did go to some of the, these interviews, some of the conferences, but the word got around very quickly when we'd say, we want to interview you. Uh-huh. And it's this guy up in space. Oh, yeah, no, thank you. They thought it was Vampirella or something. <laughs> and, and I don't blame them. There's a few people, I won't name names, who refused to ever do it. But Harlan Ellison, another, again, Mark knew all these people. Um, but we had those stories in development. And then we, we just, when we had enough quotes, Greg and Mark and Shirley went through them, sorted them out, and put them together in some kind of order that made sense. And then they would give me the, I would come in and watch all of the clips in order, and with, they'd have notes, can you somehow link the end of, of uh, James Cameron to the beginning of this quote here from, from William Gibson? And so sometimes I was working with very little, and sometimes I was working with a lot. And I think what I brought to it was the outsider view because my own mom watched the show and not just because I was watching it. She would call me afterwards. That was very interesting um, <laughs> because I, you know, it's like, like in your job, you have it too. You're the outsider. So you can see things that people who are so close to it might not. And the example I would come back to is the city. There's a theme. It's in every comic book. It takes place in a city. Mm -hmm. um, but you're so close to it, you don't notice it. Now, that's very interesting about your mother, because one of, the, one of the things I was going to ask you was whether you were concerned that the show would be regarded by quote-unquote normal people as just incredibly nerdy and therefore inaccessible. Um, I, th I think, uh, you know, the costume and everything else, the, the hair may have worked against us, but, you know... I think you said it earlier, some of these uh, science fiction -y nerdy shows like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, they were drawing an audience. Comic books were drawing an audience and Star Wars and so on. There was a real interest and they, I think it had gone way beyond uh, just the nerd culture. I, I think that nerd culture, if you want to call it that, um, you know, it's, it, 
there's there are people who can name every episode and tell you who the cast was and who on Star Trek the guy in the red shirt was who got killed who that actor's I'm name was. I'm one of those and, people, Rick. I hate to tell you. Yeah, there you go. So that's <laughs> fine. And then there are people who are drawn to the themes, and that was what for me the show couldn't just be. Re- here's the latest comic book. It was, I wanted to address bigger issues. And I think that's what I brought to the show was let's talk about ecological issues. And suddenly we've got Ursula K. Le Guin's book and, and many other books that are dealing with er, uh, ecological issues. And, oh, actually we've got this silver surfer, or these, these particular characters who may deal, comic book characters who deal with ecological issues. So that allowed us to jump all over the place. What's interesting, for example, is we interviewed Jack Kirby, uh, who basically created the Fantastic Four. And he was in the, he was not all there anymore, but Mark sat down with him and he was very vague and tired. And, and Mark asked him, started with the question of who was uh, the, the thing, this character called the thing, mm-hmm. or maybe it was the uh, Incredible Hulk, whatever it was, it was one of them. And his face lifted, his eyes sparkled, and he said, that was me. And away he went. If you'll notice uh, uh, the way the thing talks and acts, you'll find that the thing is really Jack Kirby. Uh, He uh, has my manners. Uh, He has my manner of speech. Uh, And uh, he thinks the way I do. He's excitable and... uh, uh, you'll find that uh, he's very, very active among people and uh, he can muscle his way through a crowd. And I, I find that I'm, I'm, I'm that sort of person. And for 20, 25 minutes, he spoke and answered all of these questions that Mark asked brilliantly, concisely, much more concise than I ever am. And Mark was almost in tears because this is his hero. This is one of the legends. Everyone's heard of Stan Lee, but Jack Kirby, not as many people know, and he was astounding. So Mark is trying to ask him questions and he glances off and there's Roz, um, Jack's wife, and tears are pouring down her face. And as Mark got to his last question and Jack answered it, and Mark tells it beautifully that it was kind of like the light dimmed and he sank back and he was, his wife took him out. And so we sent that to uh, when the finished episode was done, we sent it to him and Roz uh, wrote back and just said, he, he loved it. He was, he said it was the best thing ever done. And when Jack Kirby passed away, not long afterwards, nobody had footage of him. And he was a legend and nobody had an interview with him except us. So CNN was contacting TVO, contacting Prisoners of Gravity because they wanted footage of Jack Kirby. So we interviewed people, you know, Ray Bradbury, as you say, all these amazing people. um, And you'd heard of them, but you'd never got to see them speak. And a lot of these, the lesser known authors, all they'd ever been on was Good Morning Minneapolis. Uh, we have a local writer who writes about space and aliens and, and then read their book. We'd sit down with the same author. In your book, Grass, you describe a planet where this happens and why are there six moons? And there, the author would be, um, God, I got to think back. That was 12 years ago. It, and that, that's what I mean when I say the word got around do the interview with this show because they do the research, they know the stuff and they, they delve deeply. And, and that was really a testament to Mark and Greg and Shirley. And, and then where I got to be was the, the voice and the face and, and provide the, the over the arch 
all the way through it. Bring it That's together. a beautiful story. Thanks. Tell me this. I think you, 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 you went for what, five or six seasons, something like five that? Five seasons, yeah. Five seasons. Why did it end? I, I think it, it ended because um, TVO's funding just kept getting cut back. They had to be more and more careful. We'd had a good run. We'd had a great run. Um, and as the head of arts, I guess, or the head of English programming said to me, I have so many communities knocking on my door. We already have a book show called Imprint. And what about a show about theater or dance or whatever, the, all these other areas of the arts that we're not covering. Um, and I, so I understood and I was wrapped up in doing the Red Green show. And then shortly after that was doing the Red Green show and another series that I created called History Bites. So I was, you know, I would have liked it to have gone on longer. I think we all would have. Uh, Excuse me, I think we could still be going today and be relevant. Hmm. So let's finish up on this then. As you think about your time there, and we're going back, you know, more than 25 years now, what stays with you? You know, what's really interesting to me is um, there are these um, stereotypes of the nerd culture, and yet we all have our geek. We all have something and it could be gardening, and it could be baking, and it could be World War II, it could be anything. Um, and as you probably know, I've been working a lot uh, in the field of adult ADHD since then with the website and so on. And Indeed, you've been on the agenda talking about it. Yes, exactly. And the host was a little odd, but anyway, yeah. I hear that no, all the was, time. <laughs> but, but what I found in the culture is that it, this, the stereotypes get broken that I've met people in, you know, in nerd culture, you want who are the most eloquent, well-spoken, good-looking, uh, attractive, uh, or, and not socially awkward. The people who are just genuinely wonderful. I was amazed at the range of people who watched what we were doing and had read what we were, the books or, um, or went out and bought the books or the comics and started reading comic books again and get, oh my God, I grew up on Archie and Richie Rich and I had no idea that this was out there. Hmm. That's a great legacy. Well, that's the voice that belongs to Rick Green, the host, or shall I say commander of Prisoners of Gravity from 1989 to 94 on TVO. Rick, so good to talk to you again. You take care, okay? You too, thank you, sir. Now, each week we've been asking you to share your TVO memories with us. Here's one from Stephen May. What does TVO mean to me? It means uh, no fee access to educational television programming. I think it's important to have as many pathways to TVO programming without uh, paywalls, subscription requirements, uh, the need for bundles, uh, data cap concerns, um, streaming speed streaming quality and 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 the like so uh congrats tvo on 50 years thank you for that Stephen. what's your favorite tvo memory if you'd like to be on the podcast record yourself and email the audio to us using the address tvo at 50 at tvo.org that's tvo at and the numbers five zero at tvo.org and we'll play these on future episodes that's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. Editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch and Carol Elder. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Hallowell and Nikki Ashworth. Next time on the podcast. At one point, 
we're probably 20 minutes into the hour long program and you push your button down and you say into my ear, Steve, this is the most boring show you've ever done. Start a fight with somebody or I'm leaving. (laughs) 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 And I think I uh, took that admonition and sparked it up a little bit after that. I'm Steve Pakin. Bye bye.